You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. My name is Carrie Dugdale, and I have served in various ministries here at Northway, but primarily being women's Bible class and our Connections ministry. I will be reading from Genesis 18, 1 through 15. Please open your Bibles with me. If you do not have a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. He saw them. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Carrie. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, laughter is uh, an amazing gift to all of us, right? It's a great gift. Um, get, uh, it's a gift memorialized for me in my office with the pictures you're going to see on the screen behind me. I love to remember uh, every moment of laughter that I can. And so these pictures, three or four of them hang in my office. One needs to be added. But in no particular order, let's go uh, bottom here, very bottom. That's uh, me and my dad and my stepmom and my daughter, Caroline, my son, William, laughing at a video of a cartoon that my dad watched as a kid on YouTube that we were re-watching together. And then if you'll notice, my youngest son, Hudson, is in the back on the table. <laughs> and he's doing Hudson things and probably trying to find an opportune time to steal some food. But that's a moment of laughter that I love that we captured. Uh, go above that. That's me and my brother, Luke, and one of our great friends, Jordan. And again, my wife, who's a great photographer, just captured the best moment of us laughing about something that I don't remember. Uh, to the right of that picture is my mom and I on my wedding day, dancing and uh, laughing about something. I'm not exactly sure 
what it is. And then on the far side here, you have me and two of my best friends. Uh, and I, I, if you want to make an argument that that uh, has uh, really surpassed laughter and now you're into maniacal hysteria on my face, then I can go with you there. But that's when uh, my alma mater uh, won a game at our home field last year that we really weren't projected to win. And so all of these are great moments uh, in my life of laughter, which I have memorialized uh, because we should. Uh, one of our staff values at Northway uh, is laughter. We say that laughter lightens the load. And uh, as hard as ministry is, and ministry can have some very hard days, we love to soak up laughter for all it's worth because we believe it's a gift from God and a foretaste of better days to come where the burdens won't be so heavy. There's also a hard side to laughter. There's a painful side. For some of us, this began very early, and that's the feeling of getting laughed at. And that's uh, knowing that when you are the butt of somebody's joke, or when you are the person that people are talking about and laughing at, uh, even into adulthood, which some of us still experience, uh, that is a painful and dehumanizing um, experience that, it, that causes all kinds of insecurity. And so there's the blessing of laughter, there's the pain of laughter, but laughter itself is a gift from God. And I say all that to preview the story today because Sarah's laughter really is the high point of this story. And I think there's one question that we need to look at in this story, and that's this question, what do we need to learn about Sarah's laugh? And so to get there, we need to tell the story. And let's start chapter 18, verse 1. Let's just walk through it again. <clears throat> chapter 18, verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, and he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Okay, uh, Abraham had just been circumcised. He's 99 years old. Uh, not a lot of time has passed. This may not be the next day. It may be several weeks. We don't know. It's not a lot of time, but this brother is chilling and he may be in pain. He's going to run later, but we'll get into that. That's a painful thought. But uh, he is hanging out in the heat of the day at the tent, waiting on the promise of God. Lifted up his eyes, verse two, and looked and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and he bowed himself to the earth. And he said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Okay, so this is gonna beg a huge question. Who in the world are these three men? We in our Christian tradition understand this to be a theophany, which is a fancy word for an appearance of God. And so verse one and verse uh, 10 of this uh, of this chapter show us that this is indeed Yahweh and he is flanked by two angels. We believe these are the, the angels that will later do business in Sodom and Gomorrah, but God has appeared to him in a theophany, in a, uh, in a human form. And, uh, and so something that you see Abraham do, which is really encouraging, is that he immediately discerns who these people are. The text doesn't tell us he immediately knows, but he figures it out. And upon discerning a movement of God, God coming and putting himself in front of Abraham, Abraham does something about it, which is important for us because we live a lot of times in the high-low of our spirituality. And as much as we want the moments, 
uh, where God is like tangibly felt and experienced in the room, or maybe you have a prophetic vision or, you know, you wake up and you, you just want God to speak in, in certain ways that are so explicit. Sometimes those things happen, but sometimes they don't. But we know as Christians with the Holy Spirit deposited inside of us, we have an opportunity all day long to engage God because God stands and waits to have conversations with us all the time. But Abraham does a wise thing and he entreats God who shows up to him at his tent. And uh, let's see what he does, verses four through eight. This is even more significant, verses four through eight. He says, let a little water be brought and wash your feet, rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you've come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it, make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd, took a calf, tender and good, gave it to a young man, and the young man prepared it. And then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared, set it before them, and he stood by them, he stood by them under the tree that they ate. This is extraordinary hospitality from, um, from Abraham to his guest. This is him making the most of an opportunity. I was the beneficiary of extraordinary hospitality this week when I went to Jonathan and Christy Menendez's house. Jonathan leads our gospel communities and they made a meal for us. And it was a wonderful meal. It was a colorful meal. It was a healthy meal. It was like super flavorful. You know what I'm saying? Like colorful, healthy, well-prepared. And uh, we ate at their house and we had a great time. And what was very clear in that experience is that they sought to love us and bless us and not get anything out of it. Like a transactional experience loses hospitality, but hospitality is saying, hey, I wanna love you because I wanna love you. And uh, it's fitting that Jonathan leads our gospel community's ministry because that's actually one of our four values in GCs, accountability, prayer, fellowship, and hospitality. And we call it evangelistic hospitality because we want it to be towards uh, our neighbors who don't know the Lord as well. But all that to say, Abraham is showing a profound hospitality to these guys. And talk about like under-promising and over-delivering. What does he say? He goes, hey, let me get you some water and bread and clean your feet. And then what does he do? He comes back with Nick and Sam's, comes back with Al Bernays, like literally, like right on the spot, goes and makes veal and uh, some accoutrements with that and serves them without even eating with them. Abraham is the servant to them because he wants to show them profound hospitality. If you ever go on our Israel trip, our every two-year Israel trip with Northway, you'll actually get to experience uh, Bedouin hospitality, which still continues in some form today. But that's what Abraham is doing, is seeking to bless these men with uh, a gift to, to convey to them um, the, the, just the love and the service in his heart towards them. So that's verses one through eight. But we really get into the crux of the passage now. Uh, verses nine through 15. Okay, so they said to them, verse nine, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. It's an important question. Where is Sarah? She's in the tent. Why? I don't know. No idea. And guess what? Neither do you. And guess what? Neither do the 20 commentaries 
that all have thoughts on why Sarah's in the tent. We don't know, but we know she's in the tent. But even though she's off camera, that doesn't mean that God is not coming to speak to her because he is. You don't always have to be the center of attention for God to come and get your attention. And neither do I. Because even though she's not yet in the scene, he is still speaking to her. He has come to ask for her. Yahweh has Sarah's heart and well-being in mind, even though they haven't yet had a conversation. Verse 10. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Okay, what's happening here? What's happening in Genesis 17, God came to Abraham and he said, okay, if this felt conceptual about me blessing you with a child, let me get more specific. It's gonna be next year. It's gonna be through Sarah and it's gonna be Isaac and not Ishmael. That's what's gonna happen. That's what we heard last week. And so God again comes and he doubles down and he says, this is exactly what's going to happen. Next year through Sarah, you are going to have a child. And Sarah is listening. God has come to say something to her and in the tent, even though they have not seen each other face to face, Sarah is listening to the voice of Yahweh. This is the first time that we can say in scripture, she explicitly hears it from him. I have every confidence in the world that she knows, either directly from Yahweh or indirectly from Abraham. It's the whole reason he was circumcised. Like Genesis 17 sets it up. I don't think that this is news to her, but he does care for her so much to come to her directly and to say something, even though he's not yet looking to her and she is listening. And that's significant. Verses 11 and 12 tell us why. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, old, advanced in years. And the way of the woman had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Here's what the narrator is trying to tell us, the writer. He's saying this, they're old, they're real old. They're real, 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 real old. He's 99, she's 90, and the way of the woman has ceased with her. That means she's menopausal. My wife and I decided if you have any questions about that, you can ask her what that means, okay? You can go to her. And that's just the first verse, 11. And then Sarah laughs to herself, to herself. Little hidden chuckle of the heart. And what does she say? She makes it even more clear. I'm old. My old man, he's old. I'm old. He's old. And then she says, do you really think that I'm going to experience pleasure again? And that word pleasure means exactly what you think it means. That's what it means. What is 
Sarah, what is, what, is, what is everything in this passage trying to tell us about this situation once it's become real and Sarah has heard this is going to happen? What is Sarah's response? Her response is this, this is impossible, okay? I get the cerebral dream, I get whatever, but this is impossible, it's not gonna happen. And when you got more specific, I'm telling you, it's not gonna happen. It's impossible, not going to have a kid. We're not going to have a kid. How does Yahweh respond? Verse 13. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Yahweh heard her laugh to herself just like he hears the things in our hearts, in our minds, he sees the things that nobody else sees about us. He can penetrate as deeply as he needs to to understand our heart. And he looks in past her laugh to her soul and understands that she does not believe that he is going to do this. Why does she laugh, Abraham? In verse 14, He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah will, Sarah shall have a son. Do you see what Yahweh just did? He tripled down. Said it in 17, said it again, tripled down. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. And then he says, for the first time in the Bible, a refrain that's used in various forms over and over, is anything too hard for me? Is anything too hard for me? And then there's one more conversation, verse 15. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Sarah says, I didn't laugh. The narrator says, she was afraid. And Yahweh says, no, you did laugh. Even though you didn't laugh out loud, you laughed in your heart and I heard it. And her first sin is the sin of unbelief. And the second sin is lying because of fear. I wrestled with this passage this week to be honest with you. Uh, this, this text is hard for me, and it's hard for me because I want to be honest. At first blush, I wondered, God, are you being a little too hard on Sarah? A little too hard? Like I'm picturing my 92-year-old grandma who's in a nursing home in McKinney, and uh, like she's with us, but she's not with us. You know, she's losing her mind, and uh, she's a shell of the beautiful soul that... Uh, she's still a beautiful soul. She's a shell of the beautiful personality that she once had. And um, so I'm reading this text in light of going to see my grandma and knowing that, yeah, longevity was more of a factor in human life and, you know, that Abraham and Sarah had more tread on the tires and people live longer. Yes and amen to that. But I'm still seeing my grandma and I'm thinking about Sarah and I'm just going, hey God, like, are, are you maybe being a little capricious with her? A little bit? Like she's 90 and she, all she's ever wanted was a child. 
of which she started to see her friends have at 13 and 14 years old. She's gone 75 years of her life as a child. She's biologically unable. That's a fact. She's barren. You tell her this is going to happen and she laughs and you rebuke her. Is that not a little capricious? Was what I wrestled with this week. And then I lived in the text and I prayed and I sought God's clarity and I came to this realization about Sarah and about myself that when we truly laugh at God, we limit him and we elevate ourselves. That when God says he's going to do something and then our response is no, you're not, or no, you can't, what we've done is pushed the omniscient, all-powerful God of the universe down and elevated our understanding up. And even as much sympathy and compassion as mercy as I have for Sarah, she has done the exact same thing because this is the reality of the story. What is God doing? Sarah has no clue. Abraham has no clue. God is doing cosmic, like God is preserving the redeemer through her line. He is literally preserving the Christ through Sarah and she has the faintest idea of what Paul will say in Galatians when the seed of Abraham and Sarah will be the one by whom the entire world, the Gentiles come to faith. That's what God's doing right now is he's preserving the macro redemption story right now and she doesn't have a clue just like you and I don't have the slightest clue of how God is orchestrating the details of our life right now to have generational consequences down the line when we are dead and buried. God is doing something at a cosmic level, but what else is he doing? He's giving her the desires of her heart on his time and not her time. He's giving her the desires of her heart on his time and not her time. And here's where it gets a little interesting. We are not the same as Sarah, okay? Sarah has a very specific blessing, a very specific promise. That promise is you're gonna have a kid. You're actually gonna have a kid. That's actually gonna happen. And unless you're living in some kind of confident prophetic revelation, which maybe you are, and that's okay, none of us have that kind of circumstantial promise ever in our lives as Christians. But we do have a better promise, okay? We have the promise of the seed. We have the treasure. We have the hero. We have the redeemer. We have the one to whom the promise was ultimately made. That's Paul's point in Galatians 3. We have Christ. Our life is hidden with him. In him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When he appears, so will we. Our destiny is secure. We have Christ. Christ. And in that sense, we have far more than Sarah, but we don't have a specific promise like Sarah. None of us have been told by God, you're going to get married. You're going to have a healed marriage. You're going to uh, flourish in business. None of that is actually a specific promise from God. You don't, there's not a hidden book like third Corinthians where God outlines your specific story. Okay. We have Christ, which is far better. I think if we're honest, some of us 
would rather have the specificity of Sarah's promise on our worst day than the entirety of life with Christ. That some of us would trade Christ if it meant God would give us that one thing, which is a terrible exchange. And if that's the case, and, it's, and, and if you're wrestling through that right now, then God is graciously revealing to you the idols that we need to put to death. If you would rather have one thing instead of Jesus himself. So for Sarah, it's this veiled promise that looks like a child. For us, we have the whole sweep of redemption and we understand that the promise is Jesus. But, but this is where we are the same with Sarah, okay? If you are approaching God presently, and even though God has not promised anything to us with specificity, if you are shutting down the idea of that promise, then you're laughing at God like Sarah. You're joint. So if, if the idea of after waiting years and years and years for a potential spouse makes you laugh at God, then you're joining Sarah and her unbelief. If the idea of God, God not, like if your marriage is in a really precarious spot and you go, God can't heal my marriage and you're laughing at, you're laughing at the prospect of healing, then you're joining Sarah in her unbelief. If you're walking in a chronic illness and you've shut down the fact that God could heal you and you're laughing at God, then you're joining in Sarah's laughter. If the prospect of God doing anything in your life makes you laugh at that, that he can't do it, well, then you're joining Sarah in her laugh. And what you graciously need to do are two things. You need to repent of the unbelief that God couldn't do the thing. And you need to repent of the fear, like her, of sharing what those anxieties are with other people. He does things cosmically in our life that we don't have the slightest idea of the generational implications and blessings of the choices he makes. And then he does things specifically for us in his own time, in his own way, for him to get the most glory and for us to get the most joy. And what Sarah's life shows us is that we can struggle into God for those experiences of blessing. This is El Shaddai. Do, do you hear me? This is El Shaddai. God introduced himself in Genesis 17, just the chapter before, as El Shaddai, the all-powerful God. Do you know how much stronger God is than your circumstances? Are, are, you, are, you, are you hearing me? I'm, I'm not, I'm not, this isn't, I'm not, this isn't for me. This isn't for the podcast world. I, I'm, I'm talking to you, beloved church. Do you know how much, how much more powerful God is than your circumstances? Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you know that he can do and flex and show up and reveal his character and his worth and his beauty in any way that he wants to? And that our right response to that is joy and hope and belief. And you know what's beautiful about Sarah's life is that this is a temporary blip for her because what Hebrews 11, 11 tells us in the hall of faith, if you will, I think that's what it was I learned as a child. 
It says, Hebrews 11 says that by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. So this is a temporary struggle of faith. And yet what God did and what Sarah did was yielded to this vision of what God was doing. And it ultimately became her glory that she believed that God would do this. And her faith was strengthened. Sarah ultimately didn't laugh at God. She joined the Proverbs 31 woman in laughing at the days ahead with a great belief in the promises of God. I am convinced that some of us are mired in deep, apathetic unbelief and that we have joined Sarah by laughing at the possibility of what he could do. And my humble exhortation to you as I sift through this in my own life is open your hands and open your hearts to the possibility of what El Shaddai is actually doing in your life and ask him for the healing. Ask him for the blessing. Ask him for the provision. He is a good father. He doesn't give us rocks. He gives us bread. He doesn't give us scorpions. He gives us fish. He gives us good gifts in a good time and a good way. And things are happening cosmically that we don't understand and circumstantially for us so that our strength, our faith is strengthened in the experience itself. As we go this morning and as we respond in worship, here's the question we need to think about. When God appears with the promise of blessing to us, do we laugh like Sarah limiting the possibility of what he can do? Or do we believe that nothing is too hard for God? Pray with me. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the fact that you have called us to um, laugh at the days ahead and to believe that you are sustaining us by the word of your power. And God, where we have failed to believe where we have joined in Sarah in that laugh and limiting you. Thank you, God, that you see that. Thank you that you, you, like you, we, we can fool everybody else. We can project so much strength. And yet when we laugh inside, just like Sarah, you see it and you know it and you call us to deeper faith. God, I pray that with specificity, you would bless us. I pray that with specificity, you would pour out your blessings on Northway Church. I pray that for those of us that continue to long for something, that we would wrestle and pray with you, wrestle with you and pray the way Jacob wrestled with you, that we would not grow cold and apathetic to your promises, that we would not join Sarah in laughing and limiting you and closing down the possibility of what you can do in our lives. God, bring healing. Bring healing to marriages. God, bring, bring spouses together. Bring our singles together. God, where, where, where women and men have prayed and longed for a spouse for years and years and years, will, will you surprise us and quiet us with your love? You can do that. Marriage is your idea. You can do that. So would you do it? Would you give our, our, our mothers who are barren and who long to have a child the desires of their heart, 
whatever you do, we, we say you are good, but may we not shut down our hearts in disbelief. Will you help us, God? And will you do only what you can because with you nothing is impossible and we agree with the saints of old. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Northway Church. A podcast should never replace gathering with God's people to worship Jesus. So we want to encourage you to be a part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 11.15, and 4 p.m., and would love for you to join us as we encounter the truth, beauty, and goodness of Jesus.